Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. In this episode 283, Ever After, with guest Jane Solomon. Welcome, Jane. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. And I don't think we've ever done a guest myth movie night before, so I'm very, very excited to have you here. I'm so honored. Before we get started and talk about Ever After as a movie, can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, yes. Uh, So as we established already, my name's Jane Solomon. I am a lexicographer. I'm a children's book author. I'm an emoji expert. Starting with lexicographer, I've worked for a bunch of dictionaries over the last, I don't know, I guess it's been 15 years now. I've lost track of time because of the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think about definitions and words a lot. I also wrote a children's book that is a lexicography book. It's called The Dictionary of Difficult Words. And it basically has a bunch of really hard words that kids are unlikely to have encountered. And just it's supposed to be a fun jumping off point for introduction to dictionaries and dictionary skills. And it's highly illustrated. So it's a really fun book. And then... The emoji expert part, I am the senior emoji lexicographer at Emojipedia. And so I write emoji definitions there. I write articles about emoji. And actually, you all first got in touch with me because the last article I wrote for Emojipedia was framing emoji as folklore. And then I said, have you ever done an episode about Ever After? And here we are. Incredible. I love that. I feel like I have to ask, and I'm sure this is a question you get probably in every interview. What's your favorite emoji? Oh, okay. So I would say of the new emoji that have recently come out, Mm -hmm. melting face emoji is my favorite one. I'm a big fan of melting face. It's so good. So it's a smiling face and the bottom of it is like melting into a puddle. And it just feels like it has a bunch of different uses because... I mean, it's nice when when there's a lot of stuff going on. And I feel like it has similar uses to upside down smiley face where it can be used sarcastically a lot. Um, you're confused by the emotions uh, and the things that are happening to the, the emoji. It's great. It's new. Please find it on your emoji keyboard today. Update your phones to make sure you have the new emoji. <laughs> it's It's a great one. I'm a big fan of the new like peeking eye through the hands emoji Mm because I feel like that is a feeling that I feel a lot. So it it works very well. Yeah. When new emoji are added, people really gravitate toward faces, hearts, flowers, sparkles, that kind of thing, and are not using ones like really, really specific depictions of like sports or different kinds of objects. People are really going for these emoji that are more about emotion and emphasis and flourish. So uh, I'm not surprised to hear that you like a face emoji. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm basic that way. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's because they're useful. Yeah, 100%. It, it, I don't think it's basic at all. It's It's beautiful. (laughs) What do people tend to ask you most about emoji? Like when you say that that's an aspect of your job, I feel like I'm kind of picturing a like, okay, boomer style reaction that might underestimate the utility of emoji or talk about how they are, you know, ruining communication or whatever. But maybe that's not the case. I would love to know from you directly. Well, I think that emoji, like in general, are and any kind of sort of computer mediated speech that's informal can be viewed as not serious. It can be viewed as silly or frivolous, but 
this is a very real way that people communicate and that's important. And with a background in lexicography, I view any form of communication, any word, no matter the register, if it's formal or informal, to be the same in terms of the value they have. So I just sort of try to convince people that maybe they're not really thinking about emoji in the terms that they should and that they should take it seriously because this is valuable information can be presented there. I mean, there are like court cases where the interpretation of emoji, uh, of an emoji is important. Sometimes it's something a little bit silly. Like there was a case in Israel about like if people agreed to rent an apartment or not based on some emoji they sent. (laughs) And then there's other ones that are like, if someone uses an emoji gun, is that a threat? So that's obviously very, very important. People's, you know, futures are dependent on that. So let's take emoji seriously because they do matter. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine like the future law classes where they're teaching like interpretation of emoji in, uh, you know, standard practice or something like that. Oh, yeah. It's not even like future law classes. I think this is coming up now in legal classes because it has to. Uh, You don't want to be caught unprepared if this comes up in a case. Yeah, no, I mean, that totally makes sense. And law has to constantly be changing and adapting in order to like keep up with the times and the technology. And emoji is 100% a part of that. Mm -hmm. I think like dictionaries, you know, law needs to reflect what people are doing and how they're talking and, and communicating. Yeah. And I mean, there there are obviously differences between emojis and dictionaries or like words that are in dictionaries and emojis, because as a word lexicographer, I sort of observe how language is being used. And then I, you know, collect evidence and write definitions based on how it's already been used. You're like catching up with things. But when you work an emoji, there's a very limited set of emoji that are available. They are released by the Unicode Consortium, which I'm actually a member of the Unicode Emoji Subcommittee. So I do read proposals that people send in about making new emoji. But it's more of a gatekeeping situation because there's a small group of people who decide what emoji actually appear on every single keyboard versus, you know, when you're defining words, you really are just observing. There's still obviously a gatekeeper aspect because of who's writing the definitions and what they happen to deem important or decide to record. So there's still some of that, but the ideals are and and the approaches are completely different. That is fascinating. And I have like a million questions about like, what's the most interesting emoji proposal that you have seen, like, but hasn't been made into an actual emoji yet? I'll I'll tell you the funniest one. Okay, please. Which I I think it's okay to talk about it. I'm supposed to, it's supposed to be secret stuff, but I think it was clearly a joke. Someone submitted an emoji proposal to add skin tone modifiers to the eggplant emoji. I love that. (laughs) I love that that so much. so good. I don't know how like PG or PG-13, which are the two ratings of Ever After, this podcast is. So I don't have to go into details. Oh, rated R, baby. Rated R. Okay, all the yeah. way. All the way. Your demographic is going to understand what that means. Yeah. But it's- yeah, that's it. Great. And we do want to talk about 1998's romantic comedy ever after colon a Cinderella story. <laughs> but your job is so fascinating that we just we had to do a little cul-de-sac here. We did, of course. <laughs> 
And we can reroute at the end of the episode, too, after we're done with Ever After. But for the time being, that is what we were talking about in this episode, the 1998 film starring Drew Barrymore. Oh, my gosh, this movie is incredible. And Jane, not to kind of throw you under the bus here, but typically when we start an episode for a myth movie night, we have one of us try to summarize the movie in under two minutes. Do you think you're up to the task? Sure. It's it's going to be incomplete. Wonderful. And I I will encourage everyone to watch the movie if they haven't seen it or rewatch the movie if they haven't seen it in a while because I'm not going to do justice to the piece of art that is ever after. <laughs> That's totally fine. You know what? We're going to talk about it for probably another 45 minutes anyway. So even if we don't hit all of the things in that two minutes hey, we're going to talk about all the stuff. Wonderful. Normally, either Julia or I do a two-minute summary of the movie in order to avoid spoiling people for plot if they wish to skip ahead. But this is uh, Cinderella, so we all know what happens. So I think we can be even more relaxed than usual and kind of just hear your take on what happens in the movie and, and what's interesting. All right, Jane, are you ready? I am ready. So Ever After is a Cinderella story. I'm going to place it at the very end of Leonardo da Vinci's life, which was a period where he was living in France for a few years and he was the royal painter and architect of King Francis I of France. The movie actually says it takes place in 1512, but we can talk about later why that wouldn't be realistic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a it's a Cinderella story. It stars Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore loves her father more than anything. He comes back from a trip. She's very excited to see him. And he brings home a wife, a new wife, her stepmother, and two sisters. Very soon after he returns, he has a heart attack and leaves everyone behind. So it's Cinderella, whose name is actually Danielle in this movie. But we'll just call her Cinderella, whatever. Or Drew Barrymore, which I she will <laughs> respond to any of them, I think. So we have this setup where it's like a sort of rich family living in an estate. But now they've lost, you know, the father. Anyway, 10 years later, oh, it's important. <laughs> he The father gives... Drew Barrymore, Cinderella, Danielle, whatever we're going to call her, a copy of Utopia at the very beginning. And that sort of shapes her worldview. You get a sense of, this is an anachronism as well. We, we'll, I'm not going to dwell on this because we're already almost out of time. Anyway, it's a Cinderella story. It's a feminist take on it in the way that 90s movies were feminist, <laughs> but it actually holds up today. She ends up having a bunch of meat cutes with the prince dressed in various costumes. Some At first, <laughs> she throws an apple at his head because she thinks that he's a poacher going through their land or stealing their food. Then she is trying to f- release one of her family's servants who's been sold by her stepmother to be, a, I think, a slave, I think, essentially, because the stepmother is running out of money. And she goes and frees him, meets the prince again, and teaches him about how to be a good person. They run into each other other times. Leonardo da Vinci ends up really, really liking Danielle and um, they become friends. And so the prince and Danielle run into each other in the context of Leonardo da Vinci. And the movie sort of replaces the idea of magic with science. And and there is essentially no magic in the movie, which is a really interesting detail. Essentially, it's a Cinderella story. They end up together, but it has some interesting aspects. And the framing device of the movie is that it's an ancestor of Danielle's 
telling the story to the Grimm's brothers. And she's basically saying, your Cinderella story is not accurate. Let me tell you the true story. We love a framing device. And so the Grimm's brothers are there in the beginning and at the end. So it's an interesting take because there are historical figures who are thrown into the mix. One thing that I was thinking about is the movie Titanic came out the year before. So in 1997. And that also has a sort of similar framing device as an old woman telling a story. Of course, in Titanic, the old woman is the one who was the young woman in the story. And this is an ancestor. Mm -hmm. But it just made me think about this. This is kind of like, I view this film as in conversation with Titanic. Yeah. And also Romeo and Juliet, Romeo plus Juliet, which came out earlier and sort of was a sort of similar period. Like 100%. That is a great point about film history that I didn't put two and two together, where it it is like kind of playing off of very similar films that came out around the same time. And I really enjoy that. That's awesome. Well, if you'll forgive me the little diversion, normally, you know, kind of Julia's driving with with questions here. But Jane, I would love to hear what you think all those three movies you mentioned, Romeo plus Juliet, Titanic and Ever After, have in common? Like, do you have any kind of sense or guess as to what they were responding to or sort of need that they were filling? I was a little bit young to be the audience for these movies when they came out. And so I have only encountered them as like a thing that my teachers loved and showed us in elementary school or high school when we were like, suppose, you know, had an off day or things that I know are good, but weren't sort of, you know, contemporaneous for me. I think that it's in the 90s, it felt like there was a sort of revival of 15th and 16th century period. You saw it in the fashion, a lot of the dresses that are worn in Ever After and Romeo plus Juliet, or I don't, I don't actually know if that's how it's pronounced, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it that way just because it's audio. It's helpful. Obviously Titanic is a completely different period. A lot of the outfits, you just put combat boots on and suddenly you look like you're in the nineties. Yeah. (laughs) So there was something that about that fashion and style that lent itself to that period and to the audience, which I mean, forever after, I think the audience was teen girls, (laughs) which I was at the time. Yeah. So I think there's something about that. But I also think with Romeo plus Juliet and Cinderella, those are classic fairy tales slash literature that it seems like there's always a new version of it being made. And so this just happened to be the specific 90s vision of it. Totally. Oh, I love those 90s visions, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's coming back. I want to talk about body glitter. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about body glitter. Anytime. And I don't know if that that might be a conversation we have a little bit later because that's at the climax of the film. <laughs> sure. We can we can get back to that at some point. But if you want to talk about body glitter right now, we could talk about body glitter right now. I put a couple questions and like one of them is, is body glitter historically accurate? Now, I, <laughs> which I mean, like, Jane, is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the answer is complicated. And I'm going to say Sort of. (laughs) First of all, I think that asking if this movie is historically accurate is the wrong question because it's a fairy tale and we have to suspend our disbelief. And this was a version of Cinderella made specifically for its audience of, you know, let's say 90s teen girls. And I was one and it worked really, really well. So that doesn't bother me at all. I think in terms of like the historical accuracy of it, I think about there was an episode of This American Life a long time ago, where they sent a medievalist to medieval times to basically 
critique the historical accuracy of it. Oh, no. You think going in that he's going to be incredibly stuck up and talk about everything that was wrong and nitpick and essentially say this is a terrible place. But instead, he is taken in by the magic of it. He's so happy to be in a place where people are celebrating this thing that he has devoted his life to. Even if there are some things that are not accurate, he just is just filled with extreme joy in going there. And that's kind of how I feel about Ever After. I'm not someone who studied this period, but I think that that's the right attitude to take about the movie. Incredible. I love this so much. I think that's really smart. I think we're meeting it on its terms. Like this is a classic story. And one of my favorite episodes we've done has been around Beauty and the Beast, like talking about not the fact that the Disney story got it wrong or right, but that there is a ton of really interesting and rich sort of tradition and mythology around like a version of a story. And so I think it's the same thing here where it's, you know, it's particularly 90s version of it. And we don't have to necessarily enjoy it because it's not historically accurate. But I, in fact, enjoy knowing what is anachronistic and what is accurate. And I don't know, it just enhances my enjoyment. Yeah, for sure. So I studied a little bit for this podcast because I was just going to read like maybe a couple versions of Cinderella, but I have a twin sister and she took a fairy tale class when she was in college and she still has the textbook from it. And she she was just like, just read the textbook. <laughs> so it's actually called The Great Fairy Tale Tradition. Ooh, is that a Norton I see? Yeah, it's a Norton critical edition. Yeah. Selected and edited by... Jake Zipes. I don't know if I said his name right. Anyway, it has actually four versions of Cinderella under the section, The Revenge and Reward of Neglected Daughters. Ooh. And so the first one is the Basile, the cat Cinderella, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was written in um, 1635. Then there's the Perrault version, Cinderella or the Glass Slipper, which is 1697. Then another one that came out around the same time, Finette's Sendron, which is by Marie-Catherine Dolnoy. And then there's the Grimm's Brothers, 1857 Cinderella. It was really, really interesting reading all four versions of them because they they really, really vary in violence mm. um, and gruesomeness. Cinderella kind of, in some of them, she's just so, so, so kind and nice. And I feel like that's the version of Cinderella that we're used to in these Hollywood depictions Mm -hmm. because they're often marketed toward children right and some of the things that she does in these other ones are horrifying (laughs) (laughs) but i think really really interesting and worth talking about so in the bestile one which is 1635 the cat cinderella i'm not exactly sure why it's called the cat cinderella essentially the father is a prince The love interest is a king, so that's a little bit different than what we know from, you know, some popular depictions of Cinderella in the recent past. There's actually two stepmothers in this one. Oh, wow. So the first one is really, really mean, and Cinderella is so miserable, and she goes to her sewing teacher and says, what do I do? I wish you were my mother. And the sewing teacher is quote, spurred by the devil to give Cinderella some advice. She's actually not called Cinderella in this, but we're just going to use that for ease of explanation. And she basically is like, your mean stepmother likes to see you in rags. So ask her to go into the trunk with the old dresses in it. And when she's looking to pick you out something, close the trunk on her neck and it will break her neck. And then I will become your your mother. Oh, Oh my God. Just some really practical stepmother killing advice. Really, really practical. 
Not even that, but the sewing teacher is like, so what you're going to do is you're going to murder someone and then I'm going to marry your dad. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And and the thing is, the sewing teacher loved Cinderella. That was like the very beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, she doted on her. And then after she got married to the father, which Cinderella actually had to persuade her father to do. Dang. It says the sewing teacher loved her for like five or six days and then <sighs> stopped loving her and brought in her own six daughters. That's so many daughters. And then her father kind of forgets about Cinderella and and loves the six daughters more. And so it's it's a very interesting one. There's a magic fig tree that a fairy pops out of in this one. Oh, the squash connection in this, or like the pumpkin connection, is that when she's preparing for the ball, she sprays herself with squash water, which they describe as cosmetic oil. Ooh, Ooh, so body glitter. Mm, Could be body glitter. Uh, Yeah, so let's say that's squash water. We're going to say that that's going to be the version of body glitter. Let's bring up body glitter every single time. And the significance of body yes. glitter, obviously, yes. while we were talking yes. about it, if you haven't seen the movie, is that when Cinderella in Ever After goes to the ball, she's wearing a, a sparkly silver dress, which was her mother's. She's wearing giant wings that Leonardo da Vinci made her. And she's wearing body glitter on her face and some jewels on her forehead. There's something about that bedazzling that actually feels historically accurate as you go through the stories. Going back to the cat Cinderella, the glass slipper was actually a pattern, which is basically shoes in that time had soft soles. So if you wanted to go outside or go dancing or something, you would wear this covering over your shoe and it had like uh, usually like a wood bottom and that would keep your slippers that had soft soles nice and fresh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there is no glass slipper in this version. In the end of this one, the stepsisters aren't punished at all. They just are disappointed and they basically accept their fate and say, you must be mad to oppose the stars. Oh, okay. That's convenient. The violence happens in the secret murder of the first stepmother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, the stepsisters end up okay, which is not the case in the other version, in some of the other versions. Yeah. So that was the first version I looked at. Do you want to hear about the second? Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. I'm curious what the morals are of the stories that we're hearing, because normally fairy tales do come with morals. And the one that we just talked about kind of sounded like don't try too hard to change your fate because you're going to get there one way or the other. Yeah. So does that mean that Cinderella didn't have to murder her first stepmother? Yeah. Because then she could have still had her nice sewing teacher. Instead, she has still a bad stepmother, more sisters than before, and no nice sewing teacher. Mm. The king who, you know, is the love interest in this one has some really interesting turns of phrase. Obviously, this is in translation from Italian. After he finds the slipper, he says, if the foundation is so lovely, what must the house be like? Oh. (laughs) Very sexy. That is sexy. It is very sexy. I want people to say that about me. Yeah, but at the same time, Julia, money can buy a nice slipper. It can't buy a nice face at that time. So I'm a little bit like, hmm, but, you know, I guess guess the wrapping really matters. The power of squash water. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot be (laughs) underestimated. You know, you're right. I haven't I haven't considered that. I love to be sprayed with squash water and look like a dewy plant. That's what I'm picturing right now. I mean, my skincare routine basically makes me look like a freshly misted plant at nighttime. So I mean, (laughs) that checks out. Excellent. Cinderella would do it. Jane, how about you tell us a little bit more about the other Cinderella stories that you researched, but just as soon as we get back from a refill. Sounds good. Let's do it. Hey, this is Julia. There's a party going on right now, so let's just get to it because you don't want to miss out on the party, right? 
Welcome to our newest patrons, Pagan Hedge, Francis, Maria, the Mediogre, which is very, very funny and very, very cool, and Deneva. We are always glad to welcome a new patron into the mix, and you guys get some cool stuff like recipe cards, behind-the-scenes stuff, all of that kind of thing by joining at patreon.com slash spiritspodcast. And you can also join our incredible supporting producer-level patrons like Alicia, Anne, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, J. Bay Bay, Jessica Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Nieselkins, Lily, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Captain Jonathan, Malachi Cosmos, Sarah Scott, and Zazie, and of course, our legend-level patrons, Ariana, Audra, Bex, Clara, Iron Havoc, Morgan, Mother of Vikings, Sarah, and Be Me Up Scotty. This is the part where I enjoy telling you about a thing that I've been liking lately, and this time I want to tell you about Gear Breakers, which is a book by Zoe Hanna Mikuda. It was so much fun to read. If you like mechs, which I personally love mechs as just a genre, but also like romance and enemies to lovers, this is definitely the book for you. And if you like a lot of those things, you might also like Join the Party, which is another podcast from Multitude. And we just wrapped up on our second campaign, which is a thrilling adventure of superheroes, community, and all things about defeating capitalism. And honestly, what more could you want? Join the Party is a D&D actual play podcast with tangible worlds, genre-pushing storytelling, and collaborators who make each other laugh each week. You can start with campaign number one, which is the party campaign for a dose of classic high fantasy gameplay, or you can start with campaign two, which like I said, just wrapped up for stuff like D&D mechanics in a modern superhero centric setting. So what are you waiting for? Pull up a chair and join the party. Search for join the party in your podcast app or go to jointhepartypod.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've talked about how life can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes, and a lot of people can experience burnout without even knowing it. If one day you wake up and it's just like you are feeling a lack of motivation, you're feeling helpless or trapped or detached or fatigued, much like I do sometimes when I, I push myself a little bit too far past my limits, you need to talk to someone, you need to relax the stress in your life, and BetterHelp is a great way of doing that. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Which, trust me, sometimes looking someone in the face and having to tell them your problems can be really hard, but sometimes just being able to vent and not look at someone dead in the eyes at the time is much, much easier. And that's what I really like about BetterHelp. And I like that it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 40 48 hours. So Spirits listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash spirits. That's betterhelp.com slash spirits. We are sponsored this week by Brooklinen, and you probably start your day off the same way. Maybe you eat some breakfast, maybe you have a cup of coffee, maybe you start by taking a shower in the morning. But personally, 
I start my day well rested every single day because of my incredibly cozy Brook Linen bedding. Brook Linen is the home to the internet's favorite sheets. They were created in 2014 to give customers this luxury hotel level home essentials that didn't break the bank. And they offer everything from snuggly sheets to cozy towels and robes, loungewear, accessories, and so much more. If it is your first time trying Brooklinen, might I suggest their best-selling luxe sheets as a perfect place to start. And they feature this irresistible soft feel and the buttery smooth finish, which you've heard us talk about before. We love the buttery smooth. And if that's not enough to convince you, check out their five-star reviews. There are over a hundred thousand of them. That is over a hundred thousand five-star reviews. I mean, seriously, what are you waiting for? Go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code SPIRITS to get $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter the promo code SPIRITS for $20 off your purchase today. Brooklinen, they're the curators of comfort. Now, your morning ritual can change the way that you look at your day, but have you ever thought about evening rituals? The time to allow ourselves to transition, to wind down both our devices and our minds, and the evening kind of allows us to stop our racing thoughts and drift to sleep naturally. So you can power your day by powering off at night. That's where we're partnering with Calm, which is the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools you need to improve the way you feel. You can reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations, you can improve focus with curated music tracks, and you can recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories, both for children and adults. And they even now have new daily movement sessions, which are designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. So Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. And for listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com spirits. Go to calm.com slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash spirits. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. And now let's get back to the show. Jane, thank you so much for telling us all about Body Glitter and also Drew Barrymore. And I know like a lot of us aren't really like going out to places where we could wear Body Glitter and also have a few adult beverages. But if you could... What is the adult beverage that you would pick? I'm just going to say a Pim's Cup. Okay. Which is a very old man British kind of drink. <laughs> but uh, usually it's with something similar to Sprite and then the sort of spicy liquor Pim's. I would do it with ginger ale. And then you throw some fruit in there. Nice. No, I love that. You know, it would look great with a squash blossom uh, garnish. Mm. I don't think that we've really explored that yet. Yeah, yeah. I would drink it with squash blossom. 
Very important. Love it. Well, with those drinks in hand, how about you tell us about the next Cinderella origin story? I'm going to call them origin stories from now on. I like that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I'll go through this one really quickly because I know that I am uh, not used to speaking (laughs) because of the pandemic. So I forgot how long it takes me to explain things. So this one is Cinderella or the Glass Slipper, which is 1697. And that's by Pearl from France. I would say that if you're familiar with the Brandy Cinderella. Mm. Um, This sort of follows that pretty closely. The father was a gentleman. I don't think the father dies in most of these stories, actually. Mm. There's two stepsisters, one stepmother. One of the stepsisters is described as not as malicious as the elder sister, so that she has that going for her. Okay. This is the story in which Cinderella is the most kind. I would say that this one and the next one I'm going to talk about, she's the most kind. So there's one line that when it's talking about Cinderella getting her sisters ready for the ball that she is not allowed to go to, it says, any other person would have messed up their hairdos, but not Cinderella because she was that nice. In this book, there's a glass slipper that's, or this story, there's a glass slipper that's actually in the title of it. Mm -hmm. And then the body glitter element in this one. (laughs) Tell me about it. This is a new concept to me. Have you ever heard of patches patches no and and i mean in not like an eye patch in this time women and i think men too would wear black silk cutouts in different shapes like stars or circles or moons over pimples Ooh, really i want to start doing that so to cover up your pimple you would make a feature of it Oh my God, I've never heard of that. Can this be back in fashion? I have so many things that I want to cover. I know. So I really encourage you to look up patches and you probably have to put in some clarifying search terms like Mm. black silk patches and you'll see some pictures because there are some that have been preserved from the era. And in this version of it, they get patches from the best patch maker (laughs) and that's part of their getting ready routine. And to me, that is body glitter. There you go. Yeah, that's definitely body adornment. For sure. This one has the most gentle ending. The stepsisters apologize. And then Cinderella gives them apartments and sets them up with two great noblemen of the court. Wow, that's really nice. Love it. So this is like a, you know, I think this is children might not get scared if they read this. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Jane, can I circle back to something that you mentioned before? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned in the movie Ever After, the father passes away. But in most of these stories, the father is still alive. I'm curious if like modern adaptations tend to kill him off because they don't want to have to justify Cinderella's love for her father when he's still like allowing her to be part of this like abusive relationship with the stepmother. And in some cases, he actively abuses her. So in the first story with the six stepsisters, he completely forgets about her when he goes on a trip and he gets his other daughter's presents. And all Cinderella wanted was for him to go to the dove of the fairies and ask for a gift from them. And he doesn't Mm -hmm. do that. So then his boat won't leave on his journey. Like Cinderella asks for very little and she gets neglected by him. Um, So I, I do think that that is a device and I'm assuming it's in other versions of this story to not make his character so complex and like cruel. Yeah, 100%. I was I was just curious because I was like, well, why do they keep killing him off in all the modern stuff? And it's just like, because she has to love someone and have someone that she can at least imagine is on her side. I would say something very, very interesting about Ever After, which you, you don't get this kind of depth in 
the stories, partially because they're very short and partially because the stepmother is a character trope and they don't go into her motivations so easily other than she's evil. But in this movie, Angelica Houston is the stepmother and she shows a lot of motivation and a lot of feeling. And basically she really, really loves this man who dies and Cinderella reminds her of him. And that's part of the reason that she's so cruel to him. She can't bear to see her because she reminds her of the worst thing that ever happened to her. Also Angelica Houston, gorgeous. (sighs) Gorgeous woman. The line readings by Angelica Houston in this movie are impressive. Like, this could have been a shitty movie. It could have been a movie that she just was checked out of and did the minimum. But she did not do the minimum. One of the lines in it is at the end, spoiler alert, you know, Danielle Cinderella confronts her stepmother and asks, did you ever love me at all? And her stepmother responds, how could anyone love a pebble in their shoe? (gasps) Which, I mean, that's... The most. uh, It really hits hard. And also the significance of the shoes in the whole Cinderella story. This script is actually really good. And the acting is (laughs) really good. I mean, you have to suspend your disbelief that... Drew Barrymore is doing a British accent. (laughs) That's a little bit strange, but it takes place in France anyway. So who knows? Like, Like, she could be someone who is a French speaker trying to speak in a British accent. And that's why it sounds so strange. So weird. (laughs) Certainly no other reason. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the Ever After gives the characters, the stepmother, and even one of the stepsisters, so much depth of character, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, not in the stories in the same way. Speaking of which, why don't we, yeah, move on to the next one? So the next story is Finette Cendron, 1697, by Marie-Catherine Dolnoy. This is the wildest Cinderella story. And I'm saying this after telling you about her breaking the neck of her her first stepmother out of two in, in the first story we talked about. Essentially, there's no step-siblings in this one. The king and queen, there's a king and queen. They're down on their luck and they have three daughters and they realize that their daughters have become accustomed to a life of luxury and they can't take care of them. So they need to abandon them. Oh, oh no. Yeah. So this one is going to be a little bit strange and violent and weird. They decide to trick their daughters by taking them really, really far out to a remote place. And then when they sleep running away. You can't just do that. (laughs) So the queen's doing this by herself. Okay. Running away home. So Cinderella in this one has a godmother and she goes to the godmother and the godmother gives her some tricks to find her way home. The queen actually has to abandon them three times before it sticks because Cinderella keeps on making her way home. The third time they're just completely lost and Cinderella climbs up on a tree, a really big tree, and sees a giant mansion or castle. It's like covered in diamonds and gold, and it's very disgusting looking. Anyway, they, <laughs> they I mean, but beautiful in the story. And mm-hmm. they they go to the castle, and an ogress, like a, a lady ogre, opens the, the door and is like, oh, I'm going to eat you. I'm not going to eat you today. But if my husband finds you, he'll eat you today. So I'm going to hide you. (laughs) And then maybe you'll live a little bit longer. Eventually, they escape the ogre and ogress by Cinderella. She shoves the ogre into an oven because she's she's selling him, oh, I'm making some really delicious bread, but we have to taste the butter with our tongues to make sure it's the right temperature or something. And then she pushes him in. Damn, that famous baking technique. Then with the 
the wife, Ogre, she gets decapitated uh, by Cinderella. Oh, again? No. Oh, again? (laughs) So, yeah. So there's like, there's some neck injury happening. (laughs) And then the two other sisters who are her actual sisters, uh, I mean, stepsisters are actual sisters, but um, they're biological sisters. They, they beat up Cinderella a lot and they're really mean. And then after Cinderella saves them by killing these two giants, the sisters make her stay home and they go out and they like go explore the town, gather some food, go to balls. Cinderella's really, really upset and crying that she's left behind. And crying by the fireplace, she finds a golden key. The golden key unlocks a wardrobe that has the most beautiful dresses you've ever seen in it. And so Cinderella sneaks out. And all these stories, the stepsisters and and the stepmother, if they're in the story, don't recognize her because she's so beautiful and dressed up in the stories. And maybe it's because of she's wearing a few patches on her face. Um, (laughs) Possible. I think there are patches in this story too. She goes to the ball. Prince actually loves her so much he gets lovesick loses a ton of weight he sleeps with the slipper under his pillow seems uncomfortable but okay and then eventually you know he finds cinderella and and they get married now this has a very gentle ending too cinderella requests that her parents kingdom is restored Mm. and then she just sends the sisters back home so she doesn't have to deal with them and the moral of this story because this one has like um a morality poem at the very end, like <laughs> sometimes fairy tales do, basically is that kindness is the best revenge. And one of the lines from it is, do favors for the undeserving until they weep. Each benefit inflicts a wound most deep. <gasps> That's so metal. Wow. That is very kill em with kindness. That pretty much is what it just said. Yeah. That one's pretty fun. I didn't expect an ogre. No. This is the longest one. Incredible. Are there any aspects of the these incredibly wild stories that I now want to pick up the Norton edition and read that you see in Ever After or that you wish Ever After included? I think the treatment of the sisters at the end is really, really interesting. These first three stories I talked about, the stepsisters are not necessarily punished other than with disappointment or kindness. <laughs> and in some cases, they're rewarded. And in Ever After, what happens with the stepsisters is that the nicer one ends up, I think, falling in love with a member of the court. Mm-hmm. They bond over both liking snacks and dressing up as horses at the ball. Aww. And then the other stepsister and the mother, Angelica Houston, end up being forced to be cleaners in a factory where they clean linens. And like the idea is that maybe they would be blinded by the chemicals in that, which would allude to the grim fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Where their eyes are pecked out by birds. Yeah, I th- and I think that the grim fairy tale is a very, very familiar one to people. Mm-hmm. It's definitely more violent than like what you expect from Disney or Ever After. There's a magical tree in this one where Cinderella cries and it grows super fast. That's in the first one we talked about too. It's not glass slipper, but silk slippers embroidered with silver. That's actually what the slipper looked like in Ever After. And then with the Grimm's ending, it's the most violent ending. Cinderella basically forgives her sisters on the day of the wedding and they end up riding next to her in the wedding procession. And on the way to the church, they each get one eye poked out. And on the way out of the church, they get the other eye poked out by birds. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Birds are the protectors of Cinderella in multiple versions of this. You know, in the Grimm's one, the birds help her 
pick lentils out of the fire, which is the excuse that the mother gives for her not going to the ball. In the first one we talked about, it's the dove of the fairies who talks to her and helps her understand what her powers are and that she has someone watching over her. So it really makes sense that Danielle in Ever After dresses up as a bird going to the ball. Mm -hmm. In the movie, I would say one of the, the most moving moments is when she shows up at the ball with the body glitter and she closes her eyes and she says, just breathe. And that is like an amazing moment in cinema. Truly, truly it is. Do we have time to talk about one more scene from the film? Because it is my personal favorite. We haven't touched on it yet. Sure. We, I've, I've basically not allowed you to talk about the film at all. <laughs> That's fine. It's okay. My favorite scene in the entire film is when they get attacked by bandits, basically. And they have some sort of like witty kind of conversation. And it is basically the lead bandit gives Danielle his word that she can take anything that she can carry on her back. And that includes, in her case, like basically fireman carrying the prince out of the, the forest. And I'm like, girl, I love that. I love that for you. That's some fairy tale ass bullshit. And I appreciate that you're dealing with that kind of trickery here. Well, and, and one aspect of, this, of the movie is that Danielle basically saves herself on multiple occasions. She doesn't wait for someone to save her. Obviously, she has the help of Leonardo da Vinci and his inventions. But at one point, she's forced to go off and marry this other guy. And she makes her own way out of that situation, too, without having to marry him. Also, the prince in this movie, obviously, he and, and Danielle are very much in love. He's incredibly flawed. And when he finds out her humble origins, rejects her. The resolution is that much more rewarding because he understands the flaws of his ways. And there's real growth in that. In some of these stories, it seems... A lot more disappointing to Cinderella that her family doesn't love her. Mm -hmm. She's more concerned with that aspect of the story than with if the prince likes her. She keeps on flitting away at night and running off. The story devices and ever after and the structures of independence that they give to Danielle are really a much better way to think about the story for a modern audience. And also taking away the magic where it's like she's stuck in, she's locked up in a room. Leonardo da Vinci comes and he decides to take the door off the hinges and suddenly she's free. So it's using logic. I think it teaches much better lessons to kids who are learning this story than the other fairy tales, which are, you know, as we talked about, they are morality tales. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It's putting the, the moral of the story is that you, you know, have the power in your own hands, which may not always be true, but it's a valuable lesson, I think. A hundred percent. It definitely was very of the 90s. I think that there's a lot more acknowledgement today of privilege and um, what mm -hmm. that means in terms of your ability to change your situation yeah. or to end up, you know, married to a prince or whatever. In some ways, that is a lot more honest, right? Where it, like it takes it takes an act of God in order to take you out of a system sometimes that is built so hard to keep you within it and to keep you from advancing. One thing that we alluded to earlier is historical inaccuracies. And I don't know if we want to go into that, but King Francis, he did have Leonardo da Vinci in his court the last few years of da Vinci's life. Wow. But in this movie, he's an old man and he would have been in his 30s at that point, I think. 
Well, that's an old man in that time period. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> All of these things just melt away, though, because the movie is actually good. I was really, as a young person, I would always qualify it as like, oh, I enjoyed the movie, but I'm the target audience. Sure. But I think that as I've gotten older, I think it's actually a really good movie. Yeah. It didn't have to be a good movie, and it was. I love that. It could have gone by with less of a good script, less good acting. Yeah, and I mean, like, it is, like, very well praised for, like, a romantic drama that came out in 1998. Like, it has a very high score on Rotten Tomatoes. Most of the critic reviews are extremely high. Like, it's a good movie. It is. I read the Roger Ebert review of it last night just because I was curious, and... He really enjoyed it, too, when it came out and <laughs> appreciated it for what it was. I love that. Well, I cannot wait to even rewatch with new eyes after all the things that we've learned today. And I hope that all the conspirators out there watching it for the first time or uh, maybe a repeat viewing get a lot more out of it than they did before. Absolutely. And Jane, thank you so much for, for leading us through and giving us so much beautiful context in terms of the Cinderella story as a whole. Can you tell people where they can find you and your work online and other places? I think... My handle on social media sites is just Jane Solomon, just my name. I have a website called Lexical Items. Uh, you could also see my work on Emojipedia and yeah, probably various dictionaries that you don't even know about. <laughs> well, we'll link to the ones we do know about in the description. Um, but Jane, thank you again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. And remember, listeners, when you are going to a ball slathered in period accurate body glitter, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye.